Blog Talk Radio. Black Hole Radio presents Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. With your hosts, Rudolph Muhammad and Yusuf Muhammad. There's a train of coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the dealers coming. Don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. Train to Jordan Picking up passengers Coast to coast Faith is the key Open the doors and bottom Blessings, peace, and blessings. Welcome to another weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. I'm your co-host, Brother Yusef Muhammad, along with my trusty co-host, Brother Rudolph T. Muhammad, and we welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome you. Beginning all things in the name of the Most High God, the Beneficent, the Merciful. We thank the Most High for this opportunity for waking us up this morning and starting us along the way with a reasonable portion of health. Again, we thank our first-time listeners. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We thank our consistent and constant listeners. We thank all of you for the honor of your ear and the privilege of your presence. Uh, This week, I have the great pleasure of being in the great city of Birmingham, Alabama, at the Southeast Regional uh, Spring Conference of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. And as you know, many of our listening audience are subject matter experts in and of themselves. And, you know, shout out to Chief Moon, who was uh, the chief of the Birmingham, Alabama Fire Department and team, his organization. Shout out to outgoing Southeast Regional Director Brenda Brooks, 
and incoming Southeast Regional Director Robert Pearson, Sr., and the Executive Board of the Southeast Region. So uh, I want to get right into it and give the guests that we have uh, this evening, this afternoon, an opportunity to share both their experience of, of being here at the Southeast Regional Conference, and I have with my with me my dear brother, Brother Chief Myron King out of Mobile, Alabama, who gave me an opportunity to share a workshop with him, uh, Brother Rudolph, on mass casualty incident management. And uh, so what a blessing it was, yeah, to share. We've been trying to get him on the show for the last three or four weeks, but, you know, a man with his skills, knowledge, and abilities and his talents, you know, he's being pulled all over the place primarily by yes, his children, you know what I mean? So let me let you, Brother Rudolph, <laughs> welcome the people, and then we'll bring on Brother Chief Myron King out of Mobile, Alabama, and we also have confirmed uh, former IADPFF President Romeo Spaulding out of D.C. and Chief Willie Owens out of Jackson, Mississippi. So, Brother Rudolph, the floor is yours, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Yusuf. Um, you know, beginning all things in the name of the Most High, the One God, the I Am that I Am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the all in all, that one that's responsible for your and my existence on this planet in this dispensation of time. We are talking about, regardless of land, label, or language, that one God, the all that once is and ever will be. We know there's nothing new. And so if something is going on, it's either by the permissive will or, excuse me, or it's by his active will. But whatever happens, know for surety, there is no coincidence, it's not by chance, it is all in the God's divine plan. So I thank everyone for tuning in today. Uh, again, thanking Almighty God Allah for blessing me with another reasonable and strength, thanking him for another day in his beautiful, wonderful creation called life, thanking him for my family, thanking him See it, those that he has allowed me to interact with, connect with, hook up with, and bond with on this sojourn of life. Grateful just coming out of the month of Ramadan. At least I am for the teachings of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, as taught to us by our brother, our friend, our champion of truth, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. So with that, I'm going to turn it right back over to you, Brother Yusuf, so we can hear from our brother, Chief Myron King, because, man, I have a couple of questions, and now I get a chance to ask him, got a captive audience for, for a little bit. So hold, hold him tight, Brother Yusuf, hold him tight, Brother Yusuf. Best I can, Brother Rudolph. Thank you for your welcoming and uh you know, being here in Birmingham, uh, many of the uh, attendees have not gotten a chance to visit the um, Civil Rights Institute and 
the uh, Walk of Freedom, which is a park that, you know, uh, reflects the uh, brutal treatment black people were experiencing uh, back in the early 1960s. And specifically, uh, this is the 60th year of the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church uh, in Birmingham. So I know Brother Chief Myron wants to get over there, so we don't want to hold up his time. But welcome, Brother Chief. Welcome to another weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Maybe you can just share with your audience uh, briefly your background and why we're here this weekend. Peace and blessings to you, Brother Mohammed, and also Brother Rudolph. Is that correct? That's correct. Peace and blessings to you, Brother. Yes, sir. Uh, my, Aaron King, uh, my, my, uh, my experience in the fire service is uh, I have 32 years of service. Um, between the cities of uh, Pritchard, Alabama, I did two years there. And I did 30 years of service in the uh, city of Mobile, Alabama. I started as a firefighter and uh, moved up to the rank of paramedic. Um, uh, from there, I was promoted up to the rank of uh, fire service captain. Um, later on, I was promoted to the rank of uh, fire district chief, a uh, fire service district chief. And then I was moved over to uh, fire service division chief. Uh, after that, I was promoted up to the rank of uh, fire service deputy chief. And right near the uh, end of my career, I was appointed to the position of assistant chief of uh, support services. So my background primarily uh, is, is it is in the fire service, but I'm, I'm heavily structured in the, on the EMS side, on the emergency medical services side of, um, of the fire service. Uh, that's where I spent a good 50, a good 50, 60 percent of my time, uh, <clears throat> and um, most of that time. Uh, when I wasn't in the field, I was uh, I was I was assigned to uh, staff assignments where I was the um, the EMS division chief. I was EMS uh, training officer. I was also the EMS deputy chief, and uh, I was um, responsible for um, a large array of things uh, at that time. Um, but anyway, brother Muhammad, what you got for me? Yeah, Brother Chief, you know, we're here, and uh, we were blessed to work together on uh, the workshop and, and sharing with the young brothers here at the Birmingham uh, Fire Department and those who attended our workshop on uh, mass casualty incidents and how to manage that. Um, what, what, what was your, your, your overview of, you know, the experience of working together Brother Rudolph, I felt like the brother that that carries the sneakers to the to the to the to the park or the baller. You know, this is the man with the basket plan, brother Rudolph. He just let me oh, carry. Oh no, his I understand, brother. I understand. <laughs> I'd have been the so brother carrying his towel and holding his water bottle. Yes, sir. That was it. Carry his water bottle and his sneakers, right? And so you can share with us <laughs> the overview of the workshop, yeah, and right. then um, brother Rudolph, I know you have questions. Okay being an EMS man yourself. So, Brother Rudolph, the, cal uh, the uh, collaboration between me and Brother uh, J Joseph uh, was outstanding. Uh, it was our first time actually. Oh, I know it was. I, I had seen him in that before, and I knew what he was capable of doing. Um, and uh, I, I, I was overall impressed with uh, his knowledge, his skills, his ability, his professionalism, and his leadership. Um, we were able to speak to a, to, um, um a number of um, members from the Southeast region and to present the, uh, the workshop to them. Uh, Brother Joe is very, very knowledgeable into, in, in, into the uh, content of what we were trying to do, the, the message that we were trying to bring across. So he actually made it easy for me to, to, to translate what I wanted to say 
because most of what I wanted to say, he had already said it. So I had to do was kind of bag it up a little bit and reinforce things. And it went over very, very well. We actually have talked about um, when we when we get to New Orleans at Dillard University uh, in early June, we're going to try to collaborate again and do do the same workshop for the, exec, the Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute that's 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 uh, being conducted down there. It's a one it's a one week five year program where we actually train uh, mostly African American uh, firefighters to become fire chiefs. So uh, this is something that we're going to work on. We'll be in conversation over the next couple of weeks uh, on the phone, just talking to each other to make sure we fine-tune it. And when we get to New Orleans, we we, we, we uh, look forward to trying to see if we can hit a home run with it. Thank you, Chief Myron. Locked and loaded, brother. Rudolph, the floor is yours, brother. <clears throat> oh, man. Yes, sir. All right, brother Chief, really quickly, I, too, like yourself, um, heavily uh, – heavy experience on the EMS side. You know, right. I have workable knowledge on the fire side. Um, right. You know, if, if it be God's will, I can get us out of a location, uh, you know. <laughs> I could put out a trash, you know. Here's my, my, my um, thing. Here's my thing. Um, across the nation, Things are happening. Everybody's watching the news. You see what's happening. It's it's just a matter of time, as Brother Yusuf and I always jokingly say, before it comes to a city near us <laughs> or, or a city that we are in. And with our people, with the level of ignorance to this particular topic, yes, can sir. we bridge that gap and break this thing down into um, workable language that the everyday brother and sister in the street can understand and then get that message to them for the benefit of themselves and their families so that the overall outtake of this thing does not become catastrophic. It may just be disastrous. Well, I, <clears throat> my thought process is we have to start primarily within the community itself. We have to reach out to the um, to the senior citizens' homes, the um, the uh, healthcare agencies. We need to reach out to all of the uh, public service agencies that we have at our disposal to get the word out. Uh, public service announcements would be one good thing we could do. Uh, radio announcements, things of that nature, and then hold actual community meetings, uh, weekly, monthly. Uh, how you know, however, our time is. Uh, it allows us to do it, but but we've got to talk to the people and get them to understand what the consequences are of um, disasters, whether they're natural, man-made, or whatever, and what they need to do to prepare for this, and uh, what we can do to manage those uh, situations. Um, many times, our people wait too late in the game to um, yes, actually prepare or respond to um, to to, our, to the natural disasters. So uh, one thing we have to do is just pre-plan. We've got to pre-plan. We've always got to look forward and project and not be reactive, but we actually have to be proactive and get out in the community and, and speak to people and ask them, are they aware of what they need to do in case of a disaster? Now, where I'm from in my area, primary natural, natural disaster is going to be the threat of a hurricane. Um, now, with that threat, 
good thing about it, brother, brother Rudolph, is you have time to prepare. You have time. Right. You know, you have, a, you have about actually, if you actually watch the projections of of a hurricane, you have about a seven to ten day notice early, unless it just gets in the Gulf and blows up right away. But a lot of times, you can track those storms coming across the the, the North Atlantic, and um, then the, the no, projection sir. to the Gulf on a certain day at a certain time, and then you got about a seventy, a twenty, a forty eight to seventy two hour time frame where you really need to take action. But <clears throat> prior to that, that 10-day, 7-day window is your preparation time because what happens during that time, that's when all of your your um, materials and your items, all the things you need at the store, they become short because people panic and they go and buy stuff at that time. And then those that are slow getting to the market are left out because they did not prepare and they did not plan for it. They just reacted instead of being proactive. So I hope that answered that question uh, for you. Brother, oh, yes, brother, sir, without, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, without a doubt. Now, the second part to that question is, mm-hmm. part that, uh, question is, now, how do we get the elected officials and those people in the community that, one, have their fingers on what resources are available, but, two, that have their fingers on the uh, ability to utilize uh, media in the local communities, how do we translate it to them, or how do you even – Inter, you know, get that one-on-one meeting with them to even talk to them to see if they're aware of the dangers. Well, what we do, brother, is we got to we, we've got to uh, invite those people to the meetings, so to those monthly meetings or whatever, and we got to hold them accountable, and because they do hold they they do hold the key to the resources that we need to um, to to help people. So we've got to invite them to the meetings, hold them accountable, make sure they're there. And if they if they don't come, we add the pressure of talking to the media about our elected officials not participating in the planning and the preparation of a natural disasters. So uh, so so once again, my suggestion would be get them to the meetings. You know, we invite them to the meetings, let them know what the platform is, what is what it's uh, about, and what we are trying to achieve by getting them to these meetings and making people aware of what they need to do in case of an after disaster or any disaster, as a matter of fact. Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. Brother, you got it. And thank you for your questions, Brother Rudolph. You know, um, I'm being uh, inundated by so many subject matter experts right now. We're going to let Brother Chief Myron King go on to his next assignment, but we also want to give him an opportunity to make a, a last statement, if if so, if he desires. I, I just want to thank you, too, brothers, for the opportunity of speaking for a few moments with you. I wish I had a little bit more time, but I promised someone I was going to go to this museum with them, and, they, and they're going to hold me accountable. So, so I want to give yes, them a sir. word. Um, it's an honor speaking with you guys. Um, may God bless you and keep you safe. Thank you, Brother Joe. 
Thank appreciate you, it. Appreciate okay. it. Yes, sir. Okay. Brothers and sisters, you're listening to another weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. And as the gospel singer Hezekiah Walker would say, we need you to survive. And so here we are at the Southeast Regional uh, Spring Conference of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. And our next confirmed guest is a, a man who I've always looked up to from the moment I met him because not only did he have the uh, beautiful ability to articulate his heart, he's a historian, and he's a fighter, and he's just such a beautiful spiritual human being. He's on, uh, I am on his shoulders as he's also a former president of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. He had a magnificent career in the Washington, D.C. Uh, fire department. So without further delay, I'd love to bring to the microphone to our listening audience former president of the IBPFF, Romeo Spaulding. Welcome, Romeo, to another weekly edition of Disaster <laughs> Web for Community Preparedness. And so I could not, you know, leave here without, if your time permitted, asking you to be on our program because, um, again, you know, because of your experience, because of your um, ability to stay steadfast, I just couldn't let you get away with at least asking you would you consider being on the program. I know your time is precious. But, um, you know, being what this show is about, Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, being uh, in listening to Brother Chief Myron King, Brother Rudolph, Brother Romeo shared with me a document that he came across in his home before he came here to Birmingham this weekend. The whole document was about the IABPFF's involvement in disaster preparedness with a coalition of other national fire service organizations, a memorandum of agreement or understanding. And uh, I just thought it was so amazing that the document he shared with me that I put together in 1999 was right in tune with the workshop me and Brother Chief Myron King had the pleasure of putting together. So, uh, without further delay, President Spaulding, have your way. Well, thank you, uh, Brother Muhammad. Um, and good afternoon, everyone. I don't know who all is there, but for yeah, the ears. Another Brother Muhammad. Okay, Brother Muhammad. Rudolph. Yeah, Rudolph, all righty. Yes, sir. Well, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, uh, I, I listened to the conversation that was occurring just before I came, and uh, one of the questions, uh, which is still pervasive, is number one, not only identifying resources that are available within communities, but the second part is the uh, communication and coordination of those resources whenever any kind of disaster occurs. And then, of course, you take it from there, uh, how do you get the uh, parties who are involved in each one of those areas to come to the table in a pre-planning and pre-preparation uh, type of disaster? Right. That was, that was the yeah, the challenge that was before, just to give an example, the federal agencies were not coordinated. Even though they had all of the resources, you, you, know, you had the military. Just to give you an example, uh, Katrina, when it hit, 
uh, there was all these resources that were still there, but we were just so disjointed. And finally, they called. They said, "We got a navy, and that's what they do there." You know, and, and they have all of these equip, uh, uh, um, all of this equipment, all of this know-how, and we're prepared to do it, but we are not using it. So they called in General Petraeus. You remember Petraeus? He came in and started yes, mitigating, working on that. Well, that was something that was happening then. Uh, the the document uh, that was referred to um, at that time we we were working uh, with the development actually of FEMA. There were things that were happening in the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and the reason why that agency came was birthed was uh, to deal exactly with the same issues that we were talking about. And even after they have been here. Uh, because of the, the scale and the type of disasters that uh, we have experienced, uh, that uh, produced and birthed Homeland Security. Homeland Security grew out of that. Even though we have Homeland Security now, looking at all of the different uh, avenues that we are faced with in, race, in reference to disasters, we are still having uh, issues in coordinating and developing, not only developing, identifying, and the utilization of the resources that we do have available. And I heard your question, notification, utilization of, of the media, whatever. All of those are the team players within this. There's no one that's left out. And how do you galvanize all of this together and all of these uh, team uh, uh, team players to come to a table with a pre-planning and, and uh, figure out how you do these things. There are scenarios that can be developed uh, and uh, and uh, sort of practice, uh, do practice runs in those areas, but a lot of times we tend to wait to after the fact. And that's just been something, uh, the way that this nation has operated when it comes to that area. Now, what even um, exacerbated is that when you look at the response to we call it disadvantaged communities. Uh, that's when you yes, see a, a lack of uh, response, even though we have resources, even though you may have um, communication, but there is a difference. And this is one thing that uh, exists within public safety, fire service, police, and all, is, is this factor. When you look at historically how we provided services, when we're providing services to poor neighborhoods, we call it disadvantage. We go in there as enforcers. The fire service go in, they don't have people, they don't have respect for the property, and that produces something else. Same thing with police officers. When we go into middle-class communities, we go in there with a different attitude. We go in there as uh, servants, you know. And, of course, that's a whole different attitude, how we treat what we're doing, even from a fire service standpoint, how you respond to the people. Uh, and when you go to the upper class, it's a totally different. Those uh, behaviors still exist today, and those are the things that affect our ability to be able to galvanize resources and to bring about equity how we are providing uh, the type of uh, responses that we need to any type of disaster, whether it's man-made or natural. <laughs> Brother Rudolph? <laughs> Man, yes, sir. Yeah, I see. I, I, Brother Yusuf, I see. I under, yes. Now I see, said the blind man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, man. Well, let me ask. Go ahead, Brother Rudolph. No, go ahead, Brother. It's, taking, it's going to take me some time to formulate my question after that. <laughs> I figured that, Brother. <laughs> I was trying to do your question, right? So, so 
because I know, and you know, Brother Rudolph, that um, to sit in the seat as the president of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters, you're dealing with so many uh, different aspects of people activity. We say when right. disaster strikes, you're dealing with components that are going to affect or affect uh, economics, entertainment, education, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. And so to watch Brother President Romeo Spalding, uh, in one sense, I likened him unto a juggler at the Universal Circus because issues come from everywhere. And so yes, the IFF's logo is the fires burning for justice. So as it relates to social justice, Brother Romeo, and, and we want to be respectful of your time as well, don't want to hold you up, um, what was it that for you, when you sat in the seat after uh, Clarence Williams, after Charlie Hendricks, Clarence Williams out of Seattle, Charlie Hendricks out of Philadelphia, and our first president, David Floyd, out of New York, what was it that you can share with our listening audience that was uh, prevalent to you once you got in the seat? And have things changed? Have they gotten better, remained the same? Or what's your perspective on it? Well, one of the first things is that when I began to be a part of the organization, my attitude was to look, listen, be a listener to see what it was. I was engaged in conversations with our first president, David Ford. So I began to listen to his heart, to listen to what it was that he had uh, with the perspective, his ideas, his concepts uh, for the organization. Uh, and with from there, I, I guess, decided to offer what I had at that time, my skills, to help where I could. And I never forget when I came and I began to speak with uh, with the type of, I guess you call it ideology and perspectives, um, they would say, where did this guy come from? And But what happened was I didn't win, I didn't whatever, and uh, Dave Floyd, who's the first president, Charlie Hendricks, came and said, we can't lose you. Uh, we, we want, uh, we're trying to figure out what to do. And so what they did was just ask me, would I be their man in Washington? And I asked them, what did that mean? And the only thing that had happened just before then is that um, the international uh, under Dave Floyd had just been accepted on the Joint Council of National Fire Service Organizations, and they only met in Washington, D.C. So he asked me would I cover that particular uh, meeting uh, and activity uh, for the organization. I told him I would. And so that was how I began to you know, get engaged in the organization. Uh, what happened after that when I came back and began to think about what do we do in Washington, D.C.? And I said, it's about legislation. And so I said, well, what is it this uh, joint council is doing? And so they were trying to deal with issues that were affecting the fire service, you know, all across the country. But look at how they could make changes and, and what they had done just prior to me with uh, uh, President Floyd was that they came up with a policy that they had to have 100% uh, agreement before they could make any changes mm -hmm. whether it's a policy. They did that to give the IBPFF power. We would not have had power. We would have been outvoted on anything. So that 
that I used that to our advantage because they couldn't do anything if it wasn't to our agreement. That gave me the opportunity to navigate uh, the ideas and the concepts that it, I'd heard from Dave Floyd uh, at that time about what the organization was, what we were about, uh, what was happening in the fire service, what needed to be changed, uh, and we you know, began to uh, work through those areas. Then I decided that, well, to put some structure to this, I actually then came up with the idea of calling what I was doing uh, the National Legislative Liaison for the International. And so then I put it from there to write up that position and actually began to try to help structure how we as an organization could inter- interact with the legislative initiatives that was going on in the country that would that are affecting uh, what we were trying to do. But one of the things that surfaced as, as we look at that, which I was dealing with another area, is that everything that we that affects us is developed by public policy. Most people don't focus on public policy. Public policy began at the local level, and most of the times we may not be engaged in the political process at the local level. We were at that time looking to try to get someone in a higher position. We were trying to get the flag, the first black governor, first black here, more blacks in Congress, uh, looking at that level. But the public policies began at the local, and then everything that we that that affects us in life is done by public policy. So that was the area that I began to look at and focus on on behalf of the organization. So from there, uh, I guess that's where we began. Then I worked with Dave Floyd. Then I worked with Charlie Hendricks, who was president for four years, and I was doing the same things, working with them, working to try to deal with uh, galvanize the ideas that I was hearing. And then subsequent to that, I spent four more years uh, as the National Legislative Liaison, but working uh, for the administration of Clarence Williams. That was the third president. And so by that time, they said, well, uh, you know, we've cleared the thing so that you could run. Well, even at that point, uh, when I became president, what I did was to take the ideas and things that I'd heard of those who had been there before and try to see how could I activate them, how, what could we do to, to get them uh, uh, put in place. The Executive Development Institute, dealing with training, was a concept and idea that Dave Floyd had. That was back then in the beginning. That came out of individuals out of the Bulk Society of New York. And so then I started trying to see how in the world could I get that done. And so though that's, that was the beginning of the development of, of that uh, particular initiative. And it didn't start 10 years to actually do it, just to give an example, even among ourselves, you know, but it got done. After uh, we did that, the other idea that Dave had was about the youth camp. Well, you know, we're just now getting started in that. Mm-hmm. That took years. We did work uh, to in place of how to do that because there's a lot uh, engaged there. But at the same time, we were looking to see how we could, as an organization, number one, grow, and how could we change the complexion of the fire service. We were dealing with uh, uh, recruitment, we were, uh, with, with hiring, uh, with uh, retention, with upward mobility. And those are the areas that we were focused on. And what happened, uh, what made us really get into it, was that when the Reagan administration came in and introduced reverse discrimination and changed the jurisprudence as it relate to us, uh, the uh, legal cases that we were dealing with, it made it very difficult for us to deal with going legally to try to deal with affirmative action programs. That's why we put our foot together and our mind together 
and develop the Executive Development Institute. That means we could train our own, and they would be able to uh, compete with anybody in this country. And we did not announce it, but we had a goal. Our goal was to put a black fire chief in every major city in the United States as far as open mobility, not only to change things, but to change the complexion in, you know, in the departments. So that was that. Was that. Uh, then, uh, am I going too long for you? Well, I don't know, Brother Rudolph, have you oh. processed thought yet? But, I mean, look, oh, that was no, our no, first for us by us. You know, as you can tell, President Spalding can go. You understand? And uh, since we have this little interjection, I want to let our listening audience know fast forward in terms of chronology, Brother Rudolph. It was Brother President Spalding that initiated and joined on the IABPFF to uh, the Million Man March in 1995 on the National Local Organizing Committee uh, 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 state. With other, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he assessed it and and he went forward from the very beginning and he shared with me a story uh, the day before yesterday or so about in 1996 he had the opportunity to visit the minister in Chicago. So I just wanted to let yes, our sir. listening audience know that in, in, his, his, in his house, in his living room, uh, his dining room, sitting at the table with him. <laughs> table talk, wow. brother Rudolph. Table talk. Yes, sir. That's right. Table yeah. talk. Yes, that's right. So we don't want to hold his time up because you can tell he could go the whole two hours and still miss a whole lot. He's such a wealth of knowledge. I want to be respectful. A brother like that. A brother like that. With a brother like that, with that type of knowledge, and with that much history of our soldiering in this dispensation of time, he can take as much time as he wants because anything that he talks about. It's our history. It's something that 99% of us don't know about, and it's stuff that we need to know, especially from my perspective and the segment of the generation that I represent. So let him go. Yes. Okay, well, well, as we segue into our next guest or the next hour of our program, let's allow President Spalding to have his way and to uh, respond however he wants. Uh, Brother Romeo? Yes, sir. Yeah, I was just going to give you just a little more tidbits of what we did as an organization. Uh, Most people don't know the Martin Luther King holiday bill would not have passed that had not been for this organization. Um, Actually, the script of how it was a a memorandum that was written to John Conyers on our letterhead, given the strategy is how to get this uh, Martin Luther King holiday bill passed. Uh, And at that time, because of who we were and what we was doing, I was invited to be a member and a part of the National Black Leadership Roundtable, sitting with all the National Black leaders all over this country discussing it, and they, they agreed. So on behalf of the International, I had the pleasure of working with Coretta Scott King, John Conyers, uh, Jesse Hill, who's out of Atlanta, Georgia, Walter Fontroy, to put together the the, uh, 20th anniversary of the March on Washington, which brought the people back to put the pressure on Congress to get the bill passed. That was this organization. And it was from that initiative that uh, the minister, Farrakhan, reached out to ask if we could help because we had 
and demonstrated that we had the ability to assist in doing in navigating large scale organizations. But even even further than that, um, this organization we deal with not only this this country, but we had members from South America, Central America, all of the Caribbean, uh, Europe. We had Africa. We had all this. I had met with individuals from all those areas, and it's a different strategy when you're negating and working with um, those particular governments, but looking at the people uh, problems that have there was, especially with the indigenous populations. Interesting thing about it is fire burn the same way all over the country, all over the globe, no matter where it is, and so that that's a common there. But um, as a result of that. Um, we were tasked as an organization which came to see if we could go before the United Nations, before the Human Relations Commission, to put on the record the plight of African Americans in the, in the American diaspora. No other, they had not been able to get there with a black organization. And it was the, this association of black professional firefighters that gave, that took the challenge and actually executed, and we did that in 1996 in April in Geneva, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And after after that, that's when you saw all of the black leaders come together in, in, in uh, South Africa, you know, dealing with issues. Uh, and so a lot of people didn't understand the depth that we had as black firefighters in this country. They were looking at it on a sort of kind of like a surface area, but we had a lot of depth and a lot of uh, the more people that more people uh, never even thought about. And, and like when I tell them that, as a result of those things, uh, I had the ability to meet in the White House monthly. That's this organization. But to deal with issues that were affecting our people, and not only within fire service, but in public safety, but in all areas of life that affect us here. Brothers and sisters, you've been listening to President Romeo Spaulding former president of the IBPFF, and as you can tell, Brother Rudolph confirmed, he has a wealth of knowledge that uh, we all should be grateful that he has taken time out of his busy schedule to bless our listening audience. Uh, Brother Rudolph, have you formulated any questions, or if we want to give uh, President Spaulding an opportunity to make closing statements, have your way, Brother Rudolph. Just one question, just one question. And the one question is this. Uh, it's obvious that if it wasn't for, as you said, making public policy and getting legislation passed, that a lot of things wouldn't happen. So that goes to say that there have to be laws initiated and put in place for certain things to happen. So with that being said, how do we, who do we to do to get laws passed that will um, benefit again us and our communities in the in the areas of public safety and basic life support and and, and initiatives like that. So for so when I was growing up, there used to be a time where there would be some time in in the schools in the public school system that there would be a health day where all the students were taught CPR and would be taught basic first aid. Firefighters would come in and talk about, um, you know, what to do if there's a fire in your home. Those basic type things that are now absent from um, 
the public school system, and they really do make a difference. So how do we go back start getting those basics back into um, the communities? Starting at home. What you have is wow. there's, a dearth, there's a dearth of that existing within the structure of what has happened uh, to the home setting with family. And uh, a lot of times you get so caught up with the impact of those things on you that you don't realize the skill of, I call it, encroachment of, uh, we call it, racism that is built into the institutional structure of this country. It's built into everything from the political process to the, to the legal process and everything else. And the educational process, it's there. It's, it's, and it's, it's like in your face. But a lot of times when you don't realize that and you're dealing with all kinds of other issues, uh, you're fighting, uh, as I say, uh, you lift yourself up by your bootstrap, but you, don't, you haven't been given any boots to, to uh, strap up. Well, that's the kind of situation that you face with. Uh, for instance, in healthcare, uh, when you were talking about uh, those areas, most people don't realize that for the preponderance of things that uh, that exist within healthcare, the medication, you know, the procedures, all the whole nine yards, it wasn't for us as people. The medications in this country are developed for white people, mm-hmm. and when you have it right. administered to people, uh, we it. it Matter of fact, it's killed more people than you can think about mm-hmm. because we don't, you know, we haven't told that. So when you when you look at those kind of things and then you have things that misdirect your attention so that you don't pay attention to the fact that the rules are changing. The rules are changed in in healthcare. It can change in insurance. It can change in banking and monetary. It can change in your career, on your job your promotional system, like in the fire service, when you get to where that you think that you can make it, all of a sudden you realize the, 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 it's changed. The procedures has changed. And so we are always behind trying to figure out what is the next change is going to be. And those things are propelled by the impact of institutional racism. And so if you're not aware of those things, they can bog you down and, and we find ourselves always you know, say behind the eight ball. Now, in order to overcome that, um, we would have to, you know, be galvanized people and we can make a difference. What we have existing today is a separation that is existing between us being able to come together as a people. We, we find that we have individuals that are pulled in ways that are against trying to uh, give us the ability to come together. Uh, if you look at our nation, it's very difficult because we can't come together with our legislative issues. We can't come together where we should be over here with education. We can't come together, and that's not by accident. Uh, I tell people this. Most people don't know that after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, there was a group that uh, came together, and they were out of, they were sitting for neighborhood. $17 million they put up. And they brought the, all of the national black leaders they thought they could get there, but their goal was to establish 500 national black organizations, and we would never be able to come together again. Mm. And guess what? We, that's what's been happening. So you ask that question, that's what's been happening. And we, if, we don't aware, if we're not aware of what's happening, then we won't know what to do to change that. Mm. And, so, and then once we know that things are existing to keep us apart and make a decision, 
that we can go back to what our ancestors did when we when we dealt with what we call self-sufficient communities. Mm. That's how we came out of slavery by de- developing those. And when we became the, uh, when we were successful in that, that's when we had uh, uh, we call it the Jim Crow laws and everything else. Uh, all of these things that went where they burnt down Greenwood, Mississippi, uh, and uh, excuse me, Greenwood, Florida, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. You, I could just keep naming them. When those things were happening, that was to shut that down, and we have not been able to overcome that even to this day. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, brother wow. Rudolph, hope yes, you have felt on. We've been listening yes, to brother Romeo Spalding. Go ahead, brother Rudolph. No, sir. No, no, I'm good. Go ahead, brother. You... Okay. Okay. Excellent. Well, uh, President Spalding, we thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. And if you would like to make any closing statements, certainly uh, please do. Uh, we're honored that you watered our soul and you uh, gave our listening audience something to ponder, to think about, and hopefully they'll turn what they heard into practical application. <laughs> okay. Right? So any last statements if you wow. desire? Well, I just want to thank Brother Mohammed for his vigilance in uh, participating in this particular platform because uh, this is a, uh, information that you won't find anyplace else. Uh, it's coming unfiltered, uh, uh, and so it's information that can be taken and as the question that you were raising about how can we begin to change the laws by taking information like this and, and begin to set the stage and plan, and it can be done. Thank you, sir. May God continue to bless you. And he already knows I love him. I love him from, you know, to the moon and back, as the young people say. And uh, when he talked about self-sufficiency, Brother Rudolph, it reminded me of what you said last week about the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, we better do for self or suffer the consequences. So thank you, Brother Romeo, Brother President. I'm I'm honored. Well, you uh, minister, next time, if you ever get close enough to him, that you had the opportunity. <laughs> I certainly will. I certainly will. Yes, we sir. Get we'll yes, make sir. sure he yes. bring a smile to his face. Okay. Sure. Yes, Thank you kindly. All right. You're quite welcome. Thank you. Well, brothers and sisters, we're still on uh, Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, our weekly program that comes to you every Friday from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock Eastern PM, I mean Eastern Time. And uh, we've been blessed to have Chief Myron King out of Mobile, Alabama, the former president of the IBPFF, uh, Romeo Spaulding. And now it gives me great pleasure to segue into uh, giving uh, the opportunity for the chief of Jackson, Mississippi, my dear brother, Fire Chief Willie Owens out of Jackson, Mississippi, to come before our listening audience and share uh, with us you know, what's happening from his purview as a chief, as well as, you know, his reason for being here at the Southeast Regional Conference of the IBPFF. And for our listening audience who may not know, you know, Jackson, Mississippi has been going under specific uh, trials and tribulations as it relates to their water system and uh, so many other things. It kind of reminds you in one sense of what Flint went through and is still going through with their water system and their other major cities, Newark, New Jersey, Baltimore, Maryland, that are going through something similar. So let me just welcome my dear brother, the fire chief of Jackson, Mississippi, fire chief Willie Owens to disaster awareness 
for community preparedness. Thank you, dear brother, and the floor is yours. All right. Yeah, well, once again, thank you, uh, Brother Joseph Muhammad, for having me uh, on this podcast. Uh, I want to say that uh, I appreciate the invite, uh, and I sat here and I listened to uh, former President uh, Romeo Spalding and the wisdom that he uh, passed on uh, to you all. Uh, But let me say this. Uh, There's a, a student minister in Jackson, Mississippi, a uh, student under Mr. Lewis Farrakhan by the name of Abram Muhammad. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and I are real tight. Uh, he works for Parks and Rec in Jackson. And, of course, I'm the chief of the fire department, so we see each other quite a bit, and we, we talk about a lot of things that, you know, that goes on and, and how we can better uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, but as 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 uh, say it, yeah, there, there. Uh, we, we, we have several crises going on, and not just in Jackson, but the state of Mississippi. Uh, you know, we had the water crisis. We got a serious infrastructure crisis, uh, and of course, you know, we had the tornadoes that come through Mississippi just a few weeks ago, uh, killed about 23 to 25 people, I believe. Uh, one in uh, one area in Rolling Fork, and the other area was Silver City. And the other area was uh, Amory, I believe, Mississippi, over in the eastern part of the state. But uh, let me give you a little a little history of uh, the re- the reason that I became a member of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. Uh, as you know, Mississippi, uh, it was a, it, it's a bad state. Was a bad state. Jim Crow laws, uh, black people being hung black people not given the opportunity to uh, have the type of jobs that the whites had, for instance, the fire department, police department, and all those. So uh, when I became a firefighter, there, the city had just entered a consent decree. The city of Jackson had just entered a consent decree with the federal government. And in that decree, uh, it states that the city had discriminated against blacks and they should hire and promote every every uh, uh, two blacks or one white until it got up to the uh, ratio of the the uh, population of the city. Uh, at that particular time, Jackson, Mississippi was like I think 33 percent black, and we were only what one or two percent uh, in the in the city as far as police and fire. So they entered that decree, and that decree was entered in 1973. And I became a firefighter in 1974. Uh, so I got to looking at the decree because they had it uh, on the boards, on the on the bulletin boards there at the fire station, at every firehouse. And so got to looking at it, and I was thinking, well, you know, um, I've been on the job now for four or five years, and they are still hiring the same way they were hiring. They're still promoting the same way they were promoting. And I said, something's wrong with this. So I got to talking with some of the uh, some of the guys who were, you know, at the station, and you know, you really couldn't talk to every black because you know some of them just weren't black enough. So I had to try to find the ones that I could talk with, and I had a, a lot of guys that were in my class came on with me, and we all had college degrees. Well, not all of us, but a lot of us had college degrees. Uh, most of us had some college degree, uh, some college. Uh, uh, 
subjects. But anyway, I got to talk with guys that I thought that, you know, might be interested in trying to do something about this. So uh, we were saying that the city is doing just the opposite of what they supposed to have been doing in, in the first place. So we said, well, we got to organize. So we started talking about organizing and we got to organizing and we finally ended up getting a group together. And there was one of the guys that came out of the group and he said, look, he said, uh, I heard about there's a, a national black organization called the International Association for Black Professional Firefighters. And we said, oh, yeah, yeah, we hadn't heard of that group. So anyway, we found out that uh, they were having a a uh, an executive uh, what do you call it? executive committee council. council yeah executive council meeting in Dallas Texas uh, and this was in 1986 I believe it was 86 so we decided we was going we had talked with uh, I think Clarence was the president then uh, just coming in as president and we talked with him and he said yeah y'all come on over you know. So we all we we had about three vehicles that went over to Dallas, Texas, and got to talk with met all the firefighters over there, you know, that, from the international. And so we joined at that particular time. And when we joined, they started telling us what we needed to do in order to make the city do what they supposed to have done in the first place. So we end up filing a suit. We filed another suit. Uh, it was called a supplementary. Uh, decree to the uh, original consent decree. And when we did that, uh, we won the suit. And so we won the suit. Uh, the city started looking at, you know, what they could do to try to uh, try to uh, give blacks a chance in order to move up and to be hired. And so they brought in uh, uh, a chief, and he was a white guy by the name of Donovan, brought uh, Joe Donovan in. And I think Joe Donald out of Baltimore, wasn't he? Out of somewhere up there. National Fire Administration, yeah. So they brought him in. And the first thing he did, he said, well, I'm going to make uh, – at that particular time, there was only one black that was above the rank of captain within the Jackson Fire Department. And his name was Joseph Graham. And he was actually the first black firefighter in the city. And so he made Joe Graham – his assistant chief. They brought Donovan and made him the fire chief. He brought Joe Graham up as his assistant chief. And so when he did that, uh, then they brought in, they changed the testing procedure because, of course, uh, before that happened, they were there were all written tests. And the white boys had all of the written tests. You know, they had all the answers. And so all of them making between 95 and 100 on the test. And they just had to wait their turn to be promoted because it was just it was just uh, a, you know just a time thing before they got promoted. So anyway, uh, when they did that, they changed the testing procedure to the assessment center, what we call the assessment center process. And when they did that, we started talking with guys who were uh, in the international, uh, especially guys, two guys out of St. Louis. They came to Jackson, Mississippi, trained us, uh, Spike Jones and and uh, uh, Chief Sherman Clark. Sherman, yeah. Sherman George, yeah. Uh, Spike Jones and Sherman George came down to Jackson, Mississippi, trained. They trained us for about three or four days, all day, like 12 hours a day. We were being trained on how to uh, take the assessments in a test. And so uh, we did that. When we did that, and when they gave a test, 
we knocked them out of the water. White boys didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and so that's what started us to moving up within the fire department in Jackson, Mississippi. And then, of course, Jackson, Mississippi ended up being a, a, a majority black city. Uh, as a matter of fact, right now we're about 82% black. Mm. Uh, and so uh, with that being said, uh, we started moving up in the fire department. Joe Graham ended up being the fire chief, who was the first black firefighter. And then they've had black fire chiefs ever since then. Uh, so to give you a little history of the way I became fire chief, there was a guy by the name of Shokwe Lumumba uh, out of Detroit, Michigan. And Shokwe moved back to Jackson, yes, Mississippi. Yeah, he moved back to Jackson, I believe, in 1987. Uh, had two young kids at the time, girl and a, and a boy and a, and a wife. And uh, so when Shokwe moved back, as a matter of fact, talking about suing the city, we talked to Shokwe about how we should go about doing it. And he actually came to us and talked to us, and he did some pro bono work for us. Uh, and that's how I met Shokwe. And so um, the fast walk forward, Shokwe ended up um, getting into politics, and he ran for city council. And when he ran for city council, I worked on his administration. And uh, then he told me after four, just about four years was up, he said, he said, hey, Willie, he said, you know, uh, I'm thinking about running for mayor. And I said, you are? He said, yes. I was thinking, well, I don't think you're going to make it, you know, because first of all, them white folks don't like a name, Shokwe Lamumba, in the first place. They, they said, you. <laughs> right. <laughs> they said, you're a militant, you know. And as a matter of fact, Shokwe was a member of the Republic of New Africa. Right. I don't know if y'all remember when they had the shootout uh, in Jackson and there was a white police officer that would kill uh, from yes, that sir. shootout. Yeah. Yes, sir. So thinking Shokwe will never make it as mayor. But he told me, he said, I'm going to run, he said, and, and I'm going to bring you back as a fire chief because I had retired at the time. He said, I'm going to bring you back as a fire chief. So I said, oh, yeah, okay, all right. So anyway, Shokwe got out there and had a platform, man. I mean, he laid it out. And he laid it out so smooth and so pretty until the white folks started saying, you know what, this guy might not be as bad as we thought he was, you know. We thought he was this militant guy. Oh, you know, he he was in on killing the white police officer, all that stuff, you know. So it started coming out. So anyway, uh, he laid his, uh, his his agenda out and ended up one mayor, one, one, one the, uh, the, 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 the election, yeah. And so he brought me back, brought me in as the fire chief. And, man, Joe Way was doing such a good job with the city of Jackson. Uh, he was really doing a great job. And he ended up, uh, you know, he had prostate cancer, and the cancer came back on him, and he passed away less than a year in office. As a matter of fact, he had 10 months in. Mm. And so his son, Joe Way and Tyler Moomba, uh, he told me, he said, Chief, he said, I'm going to run for mayor. And he ran against it, one of the guys that was on the city council. Well, the people started saying, well, this guy's too young. You know, I don't think he I don't think he could be a good mayor yet because he's too young. Well, they, they end up and they elected another guy, and he messed up the whole city. He, he almost gave the city away. And so 
And Todd said, well, I'm going to run again for, against this guy when his turn was up because he only filled in for uh, a right. daddy show. And he only right. had three years. So he had messed up so bad. And so Anton ran against him again, and he won, and then he brought me back again as the fire chief. And so I've been here since uh, 2017. That's how long we've been back in office, since 2017. Uh, but there have been, been a lot of challenges uh, since that, you know, since we've been in. Uh, the infrastructure is in bad shape. No other mayor had never tried to do anything for infrastructure, and that was including the the uh, water system. So we had we right. have old old pipes in the city of Jackson, over 100 years old, and we have two water plants. Both of them are outdated. Uh, plus, we we didn't have the the amount of people that needed to run these plants that knew how to run the plant to be there, and so all of that was going on. And then all of a sudden came down where our water plants, our water system started failing real bad. And that caused a big problem. And that's what happened in the city of Jackson. So uh, they started trying to blame all of it on, on the mayor, on on, on Shokway and Tyler Moomba. They wanted to blame it on him. And, you know, right. I was just so happy that there are so many people that that uh, uh, have a level head in Jackson say, well, hey, you know, this guy, he just got in here. You know, this is a situation that's been going on for years, neglect, and has not anything been done. So Anti started, uh, you know, uh, making uh, relationships with the, uh, the board of supervisors, county board, and all of those people, and then with this, the legislatures because they thought that, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't have a relationship with the legislature because most of them was white, and which they are, Republican. He even started talking to them and trying to get funding to, you know, rectify this situation with the water system. And so uh, he uh, it just came to a dead end. The governor, you know, the governor that we have there, you know, he's a, a staunch Trump guy, uh, and he's just not going to put any money into the city of Jackson as long as uh, Antala Moomba is there. If it was another uh, so-called house Negro in the, in the office, you know, he would do it. They would put a lot of money in there. Right. Antala Moomba is not going to let him run over him. So, you know, he he's a smart guy. He's an attorney, and uh, he knows what he knows what to do. So the, 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 the water system got so bad, and, of course, you know, the crisis hit, and so – Anti told the, the uh, lieutenant governor, he said, uh, well, you know what? He said, since you all won't put any money into the city, he says, I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. myself, and I'm going to talk to President Biden and see what we can do. And the guy told him, said, yeah, go ahead. Biden ain't going to give you nothing, but go on up there. You'll see. So he went up there, and lo and behold, they they end up uh, talking with the Congress people up there in Washington, D.C., uh, the president. And they gave him $600 million right off the bat to put into the water wow. system. Then they turned around and they gave him a grant for $200 more million. So we got more than $800 million to put into this system now. And that is to fix the pipes uh, and to uh, probably build a brand-new water uh, plant. That's what we really need, a brand-new system, because right. that system is so antiquated and outdated. Uh, you keep putting money into it, and it keeps failing. So 
we need a new water plant. So that's what they that's what they're trying to do. And so they what they did, this is the kicker. You know, usually money come from the federal government has to come through the state. They pass it down to the right. city. Well Anton Lamuga was able to get this money to come around the state and don't even come through the state, but come directly to the city of Jackson. And man, you talking about them white folks mad and red face oh, and all? I know. They, oh man, yeah. I know that yeah. gave some people a heart attack. Oh man, yeah, yeah. They, they, they. Man, they are some kind of hot. So, uh, but yeah. So, you know, that's that's basically what happened um, with our water system and with the infrastructure. You know, we we're trying to uh, make sure that we get those pipes. We got to put new pipes under the ground. Plus. The pipes that we have under there, I told you they was like over 100 years old, and those are yes, sir. two, three-inch pipes, and we need at right. least six-inch pipes. So that's what we're going to go back with uh, when we start start digging up those uh, pipes in the street. we got to go back with at least six-inch pipes. So that's that's kind of where we are uh, with our water system. And, uh, you know, I, I that, like I said, there are other disasters that happen uh, you know, we have a we have a, a, a good team of people uh, within the Jackson Fire Department. We have all types of teams. We got dive rescue team. We got rope rescue, high-rise rescue, fence rescue. We got all kinds of teams. And so when this tornado hit up in Rolling Fork, Mississippi, did all the damage a few weeks ago, uh, we sent a team up there, and, you know, they worked out real well. We got a lot of accolades uh, from the city of Jackson that, you know, they appreciate us for sending those guys up there. Those guys work around the clock, uh, nonstop, you know, search and rescue and, uh, you know, trying to dig people out and all that. So uh, it all worked out real well, and I think that uh, it's going to continue to work out well. I, I think that uh, there are a lot of uh, help that's coming in for those people now. And, uh, of course, the Jackson Fire Department got a lot of uh, accolades for, for what they did. Beautiful. Yeah. Brother Rudolph? Man, see, this is what I'm talking about, Brother Yusuf. This is the history <clears throat> that's going on right now right. within our community that the average person knows nothing about. Right. Knows yeah. nothing exactly. about. And right. what you were saying is true because they concocted and created such an environment into where, and this is not against our young people but right. our young people just don't really understand these they don't. Me- uh, uh, mechanisms of warfare that they're using because if you talk to the average young person out here they will flat out tell you ain't no racism we all get along yeah and they, they that's one of the yes sir and and, and I, I watch that very carefully that's one of I know that's one of the ways that they're using with that generation or this generation to uh, yeah. to keep this thing going is to the fact that they don't even believe that racism still exists. Yeah, because yeah. it it appears like all the young people are together mm-hmm. and have crossed party lines and are uniting over music and over the arts and things like that. But the basic principles of life and the basic, uh, um, you know, public safety and and health, things like that, they have not Mm -hmm. changed. As a matter of fact, they've gotten worse. Yeah, exactly. In the the 
I work in the health system. I'm an EMT, and I work in the emergency rooms of major hospitals. Mm-hmm. And I watch and I look at the disparity of treatment of people, right. b- b- black and white. And that's all right. it is. Is based on black because before they even speak to them, they've already formulated an opinion about them, and exactly. you can tell in the way that they go over to them, in the mm-hmm. attitude that they're bringing, they've already mm-hmm. formulated an opinion about them, and so that's the type of treatment they get. So there is no advocacy for them when they go in there. Then when you look at the senior citizens in our in our cities. I don't care what city it is. They're all in the same predicament, the same exact predicament. Uh, So there's no way that that can be coincidence. You know, it it is strategic planning. Yes, sir. Right. Well, it's it's incumbent upon us to that we tell our story to these young people. You know, Uh, of course, you know, I started my house and my kids know, they know me, you know, that my kids, some of my kids call me a militant. You know, Daddy, you a miller. That's an honorable title. Trying to tell you what's happening, you know. That's right. Sometimes I'm telling you about these white folks. I'm trying to tell you what's going on. And I said, uh, right. you, got, you got to learn and you got to know what to do in case, you know, something go down. And so I, I just try to teach them like that. But but we got to tell them. Uh, you know, that was another thing that I think was, uh, I think you said something about uh, how to, uh, we get the word out to to young people, especially in these schools and all of that, about this yes, uh, what to do and all of that. And and you mentioned yes, something sir. about uh, you know going out teaching in the school system. But let me say this, um, you know we I, and I'm I'm assuming every fire department, I'm sure they do have. We have what we call a fire safety education program, and I have uh, about six people that are in that program that they go out. And they teach at these schools about fire safety. They even teach about uh, disaster safety, you know. And uh, uh, yes, they go to the school system. They go to neighborhood association. They go to churches. They go uh, in, anywhere they are needed uh, and, and, and teach about uh, what they need to do in case, you know, to uh, be able to survive in these fires. And uh, as a matter of fact, that I started a program in one high school in Jack Jackson got has about uh eight high schools in the city. And we started a program in that high school called a fire science program and it teaches uh young people uh about uh the fire service and we, what we, the the goal of it to train start training uh 10th graders uh to be firefighters if they want to be a firefighter. And uh, once they get out of high school at 18 years old, let me back up too. It used to be on the Jackson Fire Department, you had to be 21 years of age to become a firefighter right. or to apply for a right. firefighter. Right. So I thought about that, and I went and uh, petitioned the uh, Civil Service Board and got that age limit dropped from 21 to 18 because I was thinking at the time that, hey, we have these guys that are coming out of high school, and they don't have anything to do as far as being a firefighter until they're 21. And then if they get a felon, they cannot become a firefighter. And that's what right. was happening. Exactly. So I yep. said, well, we can, we can get these guys coming out of high school. I said, they're able to go to the military and shoot a gun and kill somebody 
supposedly legally, then they should be able to be a firefighter. And so we dropped that right. age limit. We dropped it. We started getting uh, several people that are 18, 19 years old. But the goal is to teach them in the high schools about the fire service, and once they graduate, to be able to come straight into the fire service if that's what they choose to do. And that's that's what we are yeah. doing. Yeah, and now we have, and I told you, we did that in one school, and now we have uh, two schools that the, the program is in, and we have another school that we get, we're getting ready to put it in, in, in the uh, high school. So they're coming to us. You know, they want it. And Congratulations. Yes, sir. That's, that's the answer. Yeah. That's, right. That's the answer, Chief. Yes, sir. Right. Brother Yusuf, yep. Yes, sir, Brother Rudolph. Well, I want to be respectful, you know, of Chief Willie Owens' time, Jackson, Mississippi. So I want to give him a chance to uh, make some closing statements. But, Brother Rudolph, I think we've been highly enriched by our guests uh, this week, if I may say so humbly. And what Chief Willie Owens was saying was so enriching, Brother President Romeo Spalding didn't move out of his seat. He's still with us, brother. So, I mean, the history <laughs> is impeccable with these two gentlemen. And, of course, we thank uh, Chief Myron King, retired chief out of Mobile, Alabama, as well. So, Chief Owens, if you have any closing statements, sir, well, thank you for your time. Yeah, well, again, I want to say thank you uh, for having me here to uh, share that information with you. Uh, I just want to say that um, – you know, we 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 are like I told you, we we are mostly the city is about 82% black. The fire department in the city of Jackson is about 90% black, and uh, we we yeah. <laughs> and so uh, we we have a lot of work that we have to do. Uh, you know, we still have to do a lot of teaching, uh, training, uh, especially some of these guys. And I I I'm they they. Even on the fire department, you know, I told you my kids called me a militant, and when I talk with them, you know, I tell them I'm black to the bone. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't cut it short, you know, and, and uh, so they, they, they look at me and they say, you know, you know, Chief Owens, he's all right, you know, he's an old school dude, but he's all right, you know. So I said, yeah, that's, that's, that's the way you got to be, you know. I said that's the way you got to be. So you know, I just want to make sure that they know what they need to do in order to survive and in order to, to make a career in the fire service. You know, we want to bring them in, uh, train them early, and make sure they're interested enough to stay there. You know, we have a, a big uh, retention problem, you know, with the, with the uh, fire service now, and that's all over the country. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we, we, we're desperately trying to make sure that these guys are interested enough to be, to want to be, uh, to make a career in the fire service. And, uh, we want to make it look good to them. Uh, of course, the money, a lot of the starting pay is, is a problem, uh, but we're trying to make sure that we move the starting pay up if we can, where we can, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, maintain these guys and teach them, you know, to uh, become good citizens and so they can get out there, you know, and, 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 and uh, train the public and do, do a good job and make the public look good, make the city look good, make the fire department look good. So that's what we want to do in the city of Jackson. Beautiful. Well, we thank you, Chief Owens, for yes, your sir. time, your commitment, yes, sir. your concern, yes, sir. Your, 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 your desire to stay black. Yes. And we thank you, President Spalding, 
for your time, your commitment, your concern, and your desire to stay black. <laughs> well, this, I stand here, shows what I think of you, and I think of the program, if I'd have gotten on the left, and, you know, you, you don't know what I would have been doing. Right. But I told you about listening, I listen. Right, yeah, right. It doesn't matter, you can always learn by listening. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you thought I was just a listener on my own, Brother Rudolph. I got it from Brother... Uh, President Romeo Spalding and Brother Chief Willie Owens. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. So as we enter into the last 40 minutes of the program, uh, we got a few more guests that may come in. Uh, Our dear brothers, the Brooks brothers from Chattanooga, when they come in, Brooks and Brooks like a a tailor-made suit. You know, they might be outside the studio. uh, Yeah, I'm telling you, brother. It's a blessing to have these gentlemen with their wisdom. And and you know what? The wisdom is impeccable, the history, the courage, but I I have to bear witness it's the love, man, of the brotherhood. You know, that scripture that says when you come out of death into life because of the love of the brotherhood, when we come to these regional meetings, it's the love of the brotherhood and the sisterhood that, you know, recharges our batteries that we can go on and, and go forward because, uh, as Chief Owen said and uh, President Spalding, none of us are immune to this struggle. Right. You remember the minister said if you can go somewhere and not encounter struggle, when you get back, let us know where you were. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, from labor to reward. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. so, uh, yes, sir. I don't know. I'm going to share with you an example about the cadet. Go right ahead. Uh, with, um, the cadet program that he was talking about um, was in the process of establishing one. That was one of the things that I think Dave Floyd and those were talking about earlier when they put it together. Uh, in Washington, D.C., where I was, uh, we were talking about We were fighting the struggle. And finally, after filing a suit and one of the items that we were able to get uh, in our settlement, was the establishment of a cadet program. Do you know it took 17 years from the beginning before we started talking about before we get one? But the difference is that when we was able to get the one in D.C., we tied it into bringing the, the uh, students uh, from high school. Once they graduated, they would come into the program. There was a compensation there. But the beauty to it was that the negotiated came and uh, enrolled into the University of District of Columbia. They got a complete tuition-free education. Mm. The young lady who is now our treasurer is a, came in as a cadet, got her master's degree with no cause as a result of things. Wow. So that's the, yeah. uh, the beauty of that was uh, that we were looking at why we had a disconnect between kids that were coming from high school getting ready for college or the world of work and even when they graduated from college, there was also a disconnect between the preparation of the college graduates and to the world of work and what they were looking at. And so we came up with a strategy to break, to bridge that. And the cadet program with that type of strategy bridged both of them. And we were trying to demonstrate that to the education community because originally when we started advocating that, we had to educate the education community about what it was that we were trying to do. This is from a firefighter's perspective because they thought that they should be prepared to be doctors, lawyers. You have to think about life. What is life? Everybody's not a lawyer. Everybody's not a doctor. Everybody's not that. 
They need to have life skills, mm-hmm. and life skills will, will give you the tools to survive no matter where you are and what profession you're in. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, Brother Rudolph, it's been such a beautiful uh, uh, program thus far, beloved. I mean, from yes, uh, the, the mass casualty incident uh, a workshop that Brother Chief Myron King put on this weekend, to the uh, experience of Brother President Romeo Spaulding, and and trust and believe it's just the tip of the iceberg with him. And you know the 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 history and the update of the landscape of what's going on in Jackson, Mississippi, from the vantage point of their chief. And shout out to uh, Mayor Lumumba for what he's been able to do in the midst of crisis, you know, from what I know. I just go by what I see him in terms of media, the interviews, and, you know, knowing the struggle of his father is such a beautiful thing to see the second generation, you know, pick up where his father left off. That's right. Yeah, and to be able to navigate, you know, through the muck and the mire called politics and for that city to be, over 80%, and then the fire department over 90%. We got to give props to 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 Almighty God for putting Chief yeah. Willie Owens in that seat at this time because, you know, it went from what it is now to, as he shared the history, what they claim that, you know, same game with another name. They With the consent decree right. back, came on, they called right. themselves helping us, but they actually doing the exact opposite. Right. You know, right. they use the exact words that's in the consent decree to uh, flip it on. You know, I had a young brother say to me today, and I think you said it one time, brother Rudolph. Um, what is reverse discrimination or reverse racism? <laughs> and so, as you know, when I was in the seat, we were supporting the city of New Haven, Connecticut, because uh, this this Caucasian gentleman named Richie had filed a lawsuit against the city, and he won in the Supreme Court on the strength of reverse discrimination. And we're saying, what part of the game is this? But, you know, the the other Caucasian at the time, Pat Buchanan, was saying that the the guy, Richie, should have been the poster boy for the Republican Party. And here we are in 2023 seeing what happened. And here we right. go, you know, and, and what does our future hold if we don't tell our young people the games and the tricks, the technology that these, these, these systems are playing, human beings that are in systems are playing, you know. So, right. I mean, these brothers got the glue, as we used to say in the street, Brother uh, Rudolph, they don't want to move. It's not because they tired. It's because they, I got that it flowing, boy, they engaged. So if any of you brothers oh, yeah. want to share oh, a couple uh, Go right ahead, brother. The floor is yours. We got time. Well, brother Rudolph, I, yeah, I, I yes, want to say, you know, it, it was it's, it's strange that this happened uh, like it did. You know, they just, the lady that supposedly uh, blew the whistle, uh, a so-called blowing the whistle on Emmett Till, you know, she supposed that passed away right. the other day. Right. And so uh, that family, Emmett Till's family in Mississippi, was all over her. They was getting ready to really uh, do something about that because nothing had never been done. But they were after her. Now, I, you know, 
I, they they say I'm crazy too because I I'm I'm thinking I don't know if she I don't know if she died or not I don't know they might be just saying that because that family right. was on her so you know right. uh, but it just it's it, it just amazing you know that how things all of a sudden happen uh, when something like that getting ready to come down and so uh, uh, you know of course Emmett Till was uh, in Mississippi when he died and it. it it, it brought it that started the civil rights era in the state of in, in, in yes, the state sir. of Mississippi. Yeah, when that happened with Emmett Till. So I just wanted to uh, kind of bring that out. It actually yeah. started across the country. Well, it started across. Yeah, no, right. That precipitated. You know, it picked up. Yeah. Right. You know, one of the things, Brother Rudolph, too, that as I was a young uh, a young buck listening and learning from these gentlemen, the pioneers that. Um, uh, Brother Vincent Julius, one of the historians of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters, may God be pleased with him. I asked him to him what was the catalyst that got him involved that wanted to find out where black firefighters worked across the country. This was in the early 60s. He told me it was the murder of Emmett Till that inspired him and inspired so many blacks across the country that was sort of like the catalyst uh for for wanting to find out where black firefighters were all over the country and there was no right. you know, social media no. there was no cell phone no. there were no computers <laughs> you understand so shout out to a man by the name of uh Arthur Smokestack Hardy yeah 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 right. who, who yes, sir. was yes, considered sir. wasn't even a professional firefighter at the time and never became one but he was significant uh, I got Romeo here. He's going to make a connection. But he, he was very significant in starting the first database for um, black firefighters finding out where other black firefighters were employed right. across the country. Yeah. yeah, I was going to tell you one thing about the Smokestack Hardy. I actually landed and had him made an honorary fire chief of the Washington, D.C. Fire Department. He received that, and he became he left here as a fire chief. There you go. He should have been. He should have oh, been. No doubt. Man, doubt. congratulations. Yeah. yeah. no doubt. Yeah, yeah brother Yusuf, because I remember one of the shows we had, somebody was on, they were talking about, he said that uh, two of them, they got in their cars and they drove state to state to find yeah, out both, where right. the black firefighters were. Yes, sir. Yeah. Right. Man, man. See, again, this is what I'm talking about, man. This, yeah. this is our history. This is our history, no, and if we're not telling our story, our story is not getting told. Yeah. You're right about that. So, look, Romeo wants to make another statement. Then, uh, you know, he was one of the roadrunners out of the mid-Atlantic, the D.C., DMV area, as as Brother Chief Willie Owens was a roadrunner from Jackson going to Dallas in his first meeting. So, anyway, Romeo, go ahead, and then we got somebody else who, uh, are the second generation of another roadrunner. Yeah, I was going to say one thing that was occurring back then, uh, which I was uh, stating this afternoon, was the role that women played, the wives of Dave Floyd, the wives of Benny Judy, the mm-hmm. wives of them. And uh, in talking with them, that's where I gathered the information about how much they brought to the struggle and helped us shape it, mm-hmm. You know, which is not documented or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But they would not have been able to do that without that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Well, Brother Rudolph, we thank 
gentlemen and uh, that are leaving, and we thank these two gentlemen that have joined us, uh, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're in the last half hour of this weekly program, Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. We've been blessed thus far to hear from Brother Chief Myron King out of Mobile, Alabama, uh, Brother Chief Willie Owens out of Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, the fourth president of the International uh, sounds like we have a, a caller. Could you please state the name and uh, where you're calling from, please? How may we start? Yes, my name. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Arthur Woodson. I'm calling from Flint, Michigan. And we have a Arthur, Hold on. Hold on one second, Brother Arthur. Brother Yusuf. Okay. Brother Yusuf, yes, sir. the article that I did, sent, that I sent you at the beginning of the show, this yes. is the brother I was talking about, who was who was reaching out to our sister Audrey to try and get in touch with us. Uh, this is he right here. So praise be to Allah. All right, go ahead, brother brother Arthur. Oh man, thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum, my brother. Hey, Waalaikumsalam, hey, brother. Hey, uh, so so here's the dilemma, right? Uh, we have a black mayor, and this black mayor back in June of last year, the house fire was May the 28th, and the white firefighters went in and gave an all clear, and they said that it was no one in there. So when they gave the all clear, the young the <laughs> Lamar and Zaire Mitchell was found six minutes later. And they had called all the emergency, uh, you know, people, the EMS and everything. They had called them off. So they passed away June 1st, 2022, and June 3rd, 2022. During that time, I, get, I received an anonymous phone call, and they told me that the mayor is trying to cover this up because it was election year, and it was political suicide if this got out that two white firefighters let two young little boys die in a house fire. So I went to the mother and told her about it. So all this time went on. The mother got in touch with me October the 5th of 2022. I started telling everybody what was going on. So we went to the board, uh, the city council, and we approached them with the issue. The chief, Chief Ray Barton, the fire chief, he came up that night and told everybody what happened. He told the truth. He did an investigation. He said that in his investigation that the firefighters lied, period, point blank. They lied, and they should be fired. The mayor overrode what the chief said. Right after the election and the mayor won, he fired the fire chief, and the fire chief came out and said that he got fired because the mayor wanted him to cover up and lie for him. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to hurry up and sum it up for you real quick. <clears throat> and we need, we, need, we need the firefighters, the Black Firefighters Union, to come stand up for this for this for this black man and save his name because the fire union president is out here really you know they they sticking together 
the the fire one of the firefighters that resigned, the white one, went to Bay City and uh Bay City, Michigan, and their fire chief went into the news and said that uh that 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 uh uh they didn't find that this fireman or anybody did anything wrong. So where can you yeah, find? I didn't mean to cut you off, brother Arthur. Go ahead. Oh uh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, no, no. We 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 have some semblance of what went down, how it went down, you know. And I I, I don't know if Chief Ray Barton is is suing, so it becomes a legal yeah, matter. Is. Right, right. So. Um, there, there, there are those. Yes, okay. There are those who are, are familiar with the uh, incident. We're quite familiar with, um, in fact, the president of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters is Sister Carrie Clemens Edwards. So she's Correct. out of, you know, Flint. You know, she's nine, right? Well, yeah, I'm aware of that as well. So yeah. I'm going to read the article, Brother Arthur, and I'm going to share it with the subject matter experts that's, I'm, that I'm around, and we'll get back to you, Brother, and then maybe we'll take an opportunity to powwow off the air. You know what I mean? Right. Now, what I need you to do, right, when you read that article, uh, I got the statements. We go to uh, the, the mother go to court Monday at 3 o'clock because the city is trying to do a summary disposition and uh, they filing under governmental immunity. Now, you go on my Facebook page under Arthur Woodson, I went in and filmed the room that they said that they inspected, and you will see just by looking at that video that it doesn't match their statement. So, you know, just to go along with what you're going to read, you know, I want you to have a, a, a visual of that room also where they say they inspected that room, looked on the floor, and walked around and everything. Yes, sir. Well, I don't know how long you've been listening to the program today, but we have a history of uh, knowing that other folk, you know, spin what's true, right? And it right, not right. spin straight up lie. Right, in order to yes, sir. you know, say CYA, right, cover their gluteus maximus, right? So right, you right. know I'm going I'm gonna read it and you know, you call the right place at the right time and whatever we can do, we're gonna do, right? I'm just telling yes, you sir. straight up. Wisconsin Okay, I really appreciate you. That's just the spirit of the most high God, you know, working in ways that we didn't know two minutes ago each other from a can of paint or the issue that you were calling with, you know? So Brother That's Rudolph right. is on post, you know, in our business, uh, response time is critically important. And so when you sent the information to Brother Rudolph, he knows the uh, critical importance of response time, and he shot it to me. But it just so happens we had just started, you know, this week's program, so I haven't had a chance to peruse it yet. But um, the fact that you Paul, brother, we appreciate your concern, brother, on behalf of what may appear to be somebody being scapegoat. But, you know, we'll get into it and as best we can, and then the lawyers are going to do what they do by God's grace and mercy. All right, brother? Um, yes, yes, sir. I'm, I'm just appreciative that you are looking into it. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
brother. For oh, your yes, time. sir. Without a doubt, brother. Without a doubt. Hey, y'all have a well blessed day. You as well, sir. Thank you. you and you as well, brother. All right. Take care. And, and let's let's stay in touch, brother. Brother Arthur, let's yes, stay sir. in touch. I'm, I'm right here yes, in Detroit, sir. brother Arthur. And I'm in Flint. Hey, I'm right around the corner from you. All right. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank y'all so much. All right. Thank, thank you. Take care. Well, brothers and sisters, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, as we enter into the last 20 minutes of this week's program, Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, you know, again, I want to thank our guests, Brother Chief Mike King out of Mobile, Alabama, retired, Brother Chief Willie Owens out of Jackson, Mississippi, and the fourth president of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters, Brother Romeo Spaulding, for blessing us with their presence and sharing with us, you know, not only their expertise, but their experience in the fire service. Um, we're going to close out tonight's program with uh, who I affectionately call my tailor-made suit, the Brooks Brothers, Brother Freddie Brooks out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, 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 the position. Uh, of executive director of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters, and his brother, my yes, brother, sir. brother David Brooks, out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, who currently holds uh, the position of the treasurer of the Southeast region of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. Now, they hold it, that title, and, you know, they may share with you what their function is or not, but these brothers have, like ourselves, Brother Rudolph, over 30 years' experience in the fire service. And not only that, to bear witness, these brothers just have a, a beautiful love for our people. And beyond, you know, going in the house for the time that their career allowed them to go in there, their community outreach, man, is like off the, you know, chain, man. Off the chain, brother. People in Chattanooga, Tennessee, love these two brothers, man, because of their commitment and their love to the people. And Brother Rudolph, you got to love them because they can fight. <laughs> they can fight. They laughing now, but they know I was talking about the Civil Rights Movement and the church. Uh, I think Dr. King's first church in Alabama was maybe in Selma. And before he became the pastor, before he got into the Civil Rights Movement, there was a pastor in the church before him by the name of Dr. Vernon John. And Dr. Yes. Vernon John's daughter, my hero. My hero. yeah, said that when he, she was raised by him, her favorite quote from him was, "When you see a good fight, you better he get in." The of us. And That's these two right. brothers said, "As much as we love each other, I just love them because if the rumble, if it's a rumble in the jungle, then you want to be in the in the foxhole with these brothers." So, welcome, brother Freddie. Brother David, the Brooks Brothers, to uh, Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. So I'll start with you, Brother Freddie. We're here at the Southeast Regional uh, Spring Conference and here in uh, the Civil Rights Historical City of Birmingham, Alabama. You can share briefly your, your you know, career in the fire service, how you got involved with the IBPFF thing with you, Dave, afterwards. But two things I want to say on the shout-out of the OGs. Shout out to Brother Harry Belafonte, 
for his commitment to the civil rights movement and everything he's done on behalf of humanity. And um, shout out to the former Southeast Regional Director, Leroy Norwood, out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, on whose shoulders these two brothers stand. Yeah. So let me get out the way and let Brother Freddie take over. Go ahead, Brother Freddie. All right, Brother Rudolph, I just want to start out by saying I started my uh, opportunity as a firefighter in uh, 1987. Um, when I came out of the academy, Brother Leroy Norwood was standing there with an application. I signed the application, no question. That day forward started it, and uh, just how harmonious it is by being brown. You know, Brother Muhammad, I got to use these type of words to let you know that <laughs> I do listen. So something so harmonious came out of me. Harmonious. Lord, Lord, Lord. But, hey, something <laughs> came out. And by just saying the community piece, you know, we've always been a part of the community. I grew up in a housing project, went to one school my entire life by just walking across the street, going to the school, one church in that whole complex. So that's how I was raised, by the community. You know, took whoopings in the projects. I won a few fights. But then the whole thing, when I got into the fire service, my thing was community. So the first piece we did was a gospel concert raising money for burnt-out families. So so happened we got a couple of gospel groups to come in and sing. It was one group came in. It was a young lady in the group. I asked one of my friends, I said, hell, who is that right there? She said, oh, that's my friend Princess. Princess has been Miss Brooks for the last 30 years. You know, that's when I say this thing fit hands in hand together. You know, I don't need to tell you about the whoopings that I've taken in in the fire service by being fired twice for standing up for injustice for black folks in the fire service. My my song is no different than nobody else's song, you know, but it could last longer. And I, and I can tell by the way you talk, Brother Rudolph, you'll understand when I say, a song lasts a long time. You take an opportunity to dance to the longest song to where you know you can get the most out of the song. And it was my uh, You Send Me by Roy Ayers. When you play that, if you can't get a girl after you get through dance about that, something right. You know? So <laughs> that's just me in a short piece. Man, I looked at these brothers that was before me, and they were just brothers before me at the time. But so now there's so many sisters that had came along and did so much to nurture us, to keep us that strong force that we, we've been on those shoulders that we stand. So that's me, born in 1960. Matter of fact, September 11th of 1960. So it's just a fight. It's just in me, man. Went to an all-black school, and like Brother Muhammad said, don't pass up a good fight. Jump in it. Okay. Peace and blessings, Brother Rudolph. Brother Rudolph, you there? He multitasking. Go ahead, okay. brother. He'll come back. All right. Well, um, I introduce myself. I'm David Brooks, uh, related to a Freddie Brooks and a Brenda Brooks and all other Brooks alike. Um, retired from the fire service in Chattanooga. Initially, that wasn't my passion to be a firefighter. I knew a couple of good brothers that were black firefighters. Um, as a kid, I've got pictures with my shoes on the wrong feet sitting on top of a fire truck. So, you know, I was there, you know. That's right. <laughs> but, um, but, um, come from a financial background, <clears throat> and it was just something about the opportunity to be a firefighter. It wasn't first on my list. 
But as I explored opportunities and found out, you know, it's a good organization. Um, if I don't stay as a firefighter, it'll be a stepping stone to something else. But when I got in and realized that my community needed a face like mine, so after the training academy, the first time somebody told me about the organization with black firefighters, with no hesitation, I signed up. Paid attention, sat in the front, was around some people, and started seeing the uh, struggles in our community and realized the importance of being a black firefighter because, like, as a kid, it's something you rarely saw. And in our communities, we were glorifying other opportunities and other shenanigans and clandestine activities. And I'm like, hey, this is something that's admirable, and I'm doing it. And our counterparts, it was obvious that they weren't happy that we were there as black firefighters. And, and, and you start collaborating with other organizations, other chapters, and it exposed me to all the struggles that were going across the country, and it just got, became a passion for it. And then I learned the history of my family to find out there were people who, who, um, who were result of fatality of a fire that could have been prevented. And so that drove my direction to be in fire prevention, and that gave me to have more community engagement, more opportunities for recruitment, more opportunities for people to see our faces. So I just, you know, the, the passion just kept growing and growing and growing. Fast forward 25 years, when it was time to retire, my community, I left a huge footprint in my community, and that's what I always encourage other brothers to do. If you're in a community, they should know you. They should know your faith. They should know your crew. Right. right. And, and it's one of those things where I, that footprint is still there. I can still go to the rec center, pick up a basketball, and they still think I'm on duty. You know, um, right. and, and, and leaving a legacy. And I, and I was selective when I was um, in operations at a firehouse. I've hand-selected each one of my crew, and they all look like me. And just to see the faces of um, the citizens and civilians that don't look like us to see an all-black crew, it was something like seeing a unicorn or the Loch Ness Monster. You just didn't see it often, not in my neighborhood, you know. So it was something I yes, pride myself on. And, and it's one of those things where there are some younger guys that worked with me. I never say they worked for me, but they worked with me, and they're, they're, they're carrying up the baton for that legacy. So this organization has shown me not only is the struggle similar across the country, but we all in the same good fight for the same good reasons. Beautiful. Brother Rudolph? <clears throat> oh, man, no, I just enjoy hearing that, brother. That, I listen to him, brother. I think about my father. May Allah be pleased. We're going to get Rocky Robinson. Same thing, hand-picked. And, and, you know, the thing is we are so afraid when we get in positions to – Use what's already in place. Now, exactly. what they say is what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? When they right. get in positions of power and authority, don't they handpick the people that's around them that look like oh. them, that think yeah. like them? Exactly. So it, yeah. it ain't rocking, you know, the hell with rocking the boat. We need to learn to turn the damn boat over, and if we're not going to be equal, that all of us be in the damn water together. But I love you, <laughs> brother. I love you. <laughs> That's right. Well, let them know, let them know, Brother Rudolph, what your father was blessed to be able to do, brother. Yes, sir. My father started the nation's only black volunteer ambulance service, July 15, 1988, and was responsible for integrating the New York City Fire Department and Bureau of EMS and bringing them from a 34% um, black and Hispanic uh, 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 um, membership up to over 64% um, 
by the time that he passed in 2019 simply by in the the organization coming into effect because what the organization did was we taught and trained people to become EMTs because in New York you can't be a firefighter until you're 21. And we were running into the same problem. They graduate school at 18. In that three years, anything can happen. They get the felony or they just get disinterested and go somewhere else, and now you've lost them. So we get them into EMS as EMTs, and then we were able to negotiate because, thank God, I was on the um, the uh, um, executive board of the union at the time of the merger in 1995 under President Kevin Tutal Lightsey, and we got them to agree to, well, if they were in the EMS Bureau for three years, when they took the exam for firefighter, it was a promotional exam for them, and all, it was just a pass-fail thing. They didn't have to compete with anybody based on score. So that's how we were able to get um, a, a lot of so-called minorities um, into the fire, fire service, FDNY, and promoted up the chain simply because they were in the EMS Bureau for three years and took it as a promotional exam. But it was the Bedstock Volunteer Ambulance Corps that got them through as EMTs. So, yeah, yeah I, I understand the struggle, brother. Yeah, and look, they know Tracy Lewis and Regina Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Tracy was, Tracy was, Tracy was my partner. Yeah, Thomas. Tracy was got, my hazmat partner on the EMS truck. And that's up. Well, look, man, we're closing this down, getting into the last, you know, 10 minutes of today's program. So you got any questions for uh, Brother Freddie or Brother Dave Brooks? If not, they can, you know, they can both blow now. They can blow. <laughs> listen, Freddy, listen. No, we need to like get them, bro, bro, you brother. Or oh, you know I don't use this kind of word, Brother Rudolph. Brother Yusuf, I just need you to get yeah. a commitment from, 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 from the Brooks brothers because we need them to come back and we need to talk about strategies for recruitment for firefighting and EMS in our communities all across these United States because there's a shortage, a critical shortage. And, of course, we know if it's a shortage and white people are saying it's a shortage, then it's hella short on our side. So That's right. we just need a, a where we can focus especially on that. Yeah, well, we, I, I think their heart will, will allow them to come back, but I don't think our first strings, brother, will, will allow them to come back. We can't afford these two brothers to come on the show, brother. We'll do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, uh, yeah, 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 so I got it. No, they, they're good. But, uh, hey, hey, brother Rudolph, I know you uh, take you up in Detroit, but I know everybody in Detroit come from the South. You scared to come back? That's you know, right. That's you, right. You welcome to come to Cabinet anytime. Well, listen, listen. Now, I'm just around the corner now. Listen, don't play. Look up, and the ambulance will be sitting on your front lawn with the lights on now. No, you don't have to bring it in your pocket. I know how y'all roll in Detroit, so we got you covered. So. <laughs> yes, sir. Connected. Thank you, bro. Your so, so best size. You yeah. know what I mean? We both were members of the okay. boss. He, you know, got married and relocated to Detroit. I retired in 
didn't you? But yeah, thank yeah. God for technology. Right. We, right. We're in the same studio. Yeah, right. Thing, right. Right. So look, That's I right. mean, as we out, brothers, we thank you for your time. I know you got some closing statements for us to bless our listening audience, and thank you for your sacrifice and thank your families on behalf of disaster awareness for community Thanks. preparedness for their sacrifice. Right. Hey, brother Rudolph, here's my little closing statement that I kind of spoke on while we was down here at this conference. When I first ran into Brother Muhammad, you know, I, I wasn't too much on the nation, you know, being a Baptist boy, you know, when you see a black <laughs> Together, suited and booted, you know, like man, who them there? <laughs> he walk in, don't smile, and all that old kind of stuff. Had on all that old Indian guy. My old, uh, my old, uh, my old mentor used to go to witch doctor. That's his boy right there with him. You know, my brother Muhammad. I said, no place. So, but me and him, good friends now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, listen now. Listen, don't let don't let him being a Muslim fool you now. Listen, he 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 can sing one of them old the, the, them songs. You can put him in the choir stand now. He knows. Oh no, oh, man, I'm a phone. I got him. I got him. I got him. I got him. <laughs> well, I'll say this: it hasn't been a time the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters that I didn't find an admirable moment to be around brothers like Brother Muhammad, brothers like Ted Holmes. Brothers like Carl Holmes, brothers like Leroy Norwood. So I'm always picking up nuggets and putting them in my my gold sack when I'm around these brothers. So it's just all that I am, I owe. I always live eternally in the red. And when I make it, yes, they sir. make it. We all. When I make it, they make it. We all make it. That's it. That's so we right. definitely right. have them back, Brother Rudolph, for sure, for sure, because yes, uh, these brothers a love for the people, man, and they have an expertise on the and tip and I mean we all being challenged. I mean if we had the answer, brother, we put it in a book and try to make some money off of it because it's like a movie. <laughs> right. It's that younger generation, man, to get them to see, you know, the the value of being in this service, man. Being a student, being a soldier, being a uh, 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 um, a servant, and 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 being a savior, man. You know when. As we oftentimes talk about, what's the psychology of a victim, a first responder, and an emergency manager? And, you know, many of us have been all three, you know. And so we thank these brothers for taking time out of their uh, busy schedule. Brother Rudolph, I'm going to let you go ahead and make the last statement, brother. I just am thankful that you allow me to bring your sneakers to the to the park, brother, to the court, so I can lace them up for you, brother, and you can go ahead and do what you normally do. I want Thank uh, Black Hole Radio LLC and the engineers for giving us an opportunity once again this week. So same time, same station, Lord willing, next week. Brother Rudolph? Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Yusuf. And please thank the brothers from, from me and, of course, from the rest of the family of Black Hole Radio. We enjoyed having them on and giving us the history of us as people with regards to the fire service, but just in general, just another piece of black history. Black history is not just the 28 days of February. Black history is every day that you wake up and look in the mirror and your skin looks like mine. Then whatever happens from that point on is black history because once it's gone, you can't get it back. Yeah, so always remember, 
that the God of right, the God of righteousness, the God of truth, justice, and equality is always looking. And integrity is not what you do when people are looking at you, it's what you do when you think you're alone. So God will always prepare and speak and act on behalf of his own. And when his own realize that they are his own, oh, boy, stand by for heavy rolls now. Watch out. So the blacks, the black people are coming together. We are realizing more and more now that we are children of the true and living God and that God is invested in us and we are invested in him and what father does not look out for his children so we just have to realize that we are brothers of each other we are bone of each other's bone flesh of each other's flesh blood of each other's blood and that when we say that prayer our father meaning he's yours and mine which means we are connected we are brothers of the same father so there's no reason for us to be arguing and fighting over anything because whatever is mine is yours and what's yours is mine. It's already divinely ordained that way. So let's walk together, children, and not get weary. Let's fight with those who fight with us. And like Vernon John said, if you see a good fight, get in the middle of it. Assalamu alaikum. Have a blessed day, and God willing, we will see each other again next week. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.